Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rulemakers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Five fun-filled, tension-filled, dollar-filled days in Atlanta. Just leaving, feel a little bit liberated, but, but wait. We now have the beginning of the 100-year game, a commemoration of the NFL opening its doors 100 years ago. Formally kicks off halftime of the Super Bowl, proof that you can't get away from football. The NFL is prolific all-time Always, football fans can hope that next year's Super Bowl may be more offensive, but the bottom line is the 100th season will focus on many things that are really positive. As for the economics of the game itself from a business perspective, Super Bowls, as we know, can cost a host city as much as $70 million, but it's obviously one of the key industries that cities keep vying for and against for relocation. Atlanta's bid was valued at $46 million, according According to the Atlanta Constitution, and it provided for local law enforcement, hotel rooms, promotion, insurance, and decor. Costs associated with the use of Mercedes-Benz Stadium, team practice sites, venues for ancillary events, and 10,000 parking spaces, also covered by the city. Atlanta's bid covered by a mix of public and private money. Money, two local businesses donated $20 million, $16 million coming from the designated hotel motel tax fund, and the remaining $10 million came in the way of tax entrepreneurial exemptions on sales taxes. The Atlanta Host Committee estimated this year's game would bring about $185 million to the region, far more realistic and obtainable than the $450 million Minneapolis claims to have generated in 2018. The bottom line is Brett Daniels cuts his teeth with the Dallas Cowboys. Here's his interview now. He caught up with him the weekend of Super Bowl 53. Sports professor Rick Haro in the boardroom beyond the scoreboard. Super Bowl 53, a relatively warm Atlanta, Georgia. I'd want to suggest that because if I said anything less than like 60 degrees, the guys would jump all over me today. And the good thing, by the way, before we even start with Brett Daniels, who is you know, the, in charge of all this, basically is Super Bowl were played a year ago or a year today in Minneapolis the temperature on kickoff would have been 46 below I think wind chill 27 below so Brett Daniels who basically does all this for Atlanta how does that make you feel feel nice and warm that's for yeah. sure about a hundred degree difference here clearly so give us a snapshot as we're heading toward the game and it's gonna be run afterward your what what the job is and how you feel about the job and kind of give us a review of the last few months too sure yeah we're uh, our job here is kind of to be the middleman between the NFL and the city of Atlanta, just to make sure all those puzzle pieces get fit into our city. Uh, we get everything up and running, make the connections, the introductions, and then a lot of troubleshooting, uh, solving problems as they pop up, as they come along. I think we've got a very unique campus here in the downtown area in Atlanta with the number of hotel rooms, the venues. You know, we pretty much have everything right here on the Congress Center campus next to the stadium, the arena, and the park. So everybody comes down into one, one tight spot and can do everything, stay on foot and walk around everywhere. And it will all play out over time. We'll absolutely see that. The bottom line, though, is that you've got a lot of assets that a lot of other communities find very difficult to do. 
uh, the Minneapolis's of the world. Uh, there are a lot of cities, but everybody understands it's one downtown. Same as same as yours, New Orleans. Same yeah, thing exactly. How much of an advantage is that? I think it's a huge advantage. Um, when you, for when you, you look at hosting the game multiple times, I think any city you know can get in the rotation to host a game. You get a new stadium like we saw in Minnesota. Right. The NFL you know is going to reward that community with the game. But I think to be in a regular rotation, you have to have uh, the infrastructure of a city like Atlanta. You mentioned New Orleans, uh, where everything is you know in a nice compact area. We've got the hotel rooms. You've got that infrastructure, transportation to get people around, so that it is a nice seamless uh, event for everybody. Let's talk about the business of your world first. Then we'll talk about rotation versus one-off. I know that's what everybody talks about. So the NFL has, because it has the leverage to do it, imposed some pretty rigorous financial requirements on every widget company that wants to win a successful bid in the community. More onerous than it has been in the past, but at least now you know how you're dealing with it and what you need to do. Comment on that process later. Yeah, you, you know going in what, what the financial uh, implications of hosting this game are. Uh, we're looking at a budget in the neighborhood of $40 million to, to put this game on and meet the bid obligations that we have as the city of Atlanta here. That can vary from city to city based on a number of different things. But you know going in what your capabilities are from a sponsorship standpoint. You know, there are uh, categories that the NFL has locked down, and there's certain things you can and can't do within that. And then, you know, you really you rely on your local business community. And we've been very fortunate here in Atlanta. We've got a lot of large committed companies that are willing to, to contribute and give back to the community to support an event like this. Well, and you also, the key civic guy happens to own the team and be involved in the stadium as yeah. well. It's an obvious question that maybe people don't understand how critical a well-respected Arthur Blank type owner is to this whole process. It is uh, critical. I mean, this is the one vote that the NFL has, one of two votes. I think the other one is voting on the hiring of a commissioner uh, that's a secret ballot. And so the owners don't know who's voting for which site, which city. Uh, they just go in and they know uh, what uh, what the, the bid is like. And so having an owner like Arthur Blank pulling that all together uh, is a key piece of that. And that, well, someone that the other 31 NFL owners know they can trust. And when they hand him the game, they're handing him, there's a lot of re responsibility that goes along with that. Delicate balance. And I assume you need to be politically uh, astute as far as hurting local cats understanding what it means to provide the support for ownership and stadium and also dealing with the vagarities of individual NFL owners. Do they pay you enough? <laughs> I don't know anybody ever thinks they get paid enough, no. do they? But uh, Trust me, they, none, of, none of you guys do. Yeah, okay. but it, uh, it is definitely a, a very much a public-private partnership. You, you hear that a lot around stadiums, around uh, sports events, but it definitely takes the buy-in from the city and the state. Uh, we've got great partners, City of Atlanta and the state of Georgia. They see the economic impact an event like this can bring to the community. Uh, and not just the direct spend uh, over the course of this week, but also the exposure and the visibility. You know, you're getting yeah. CEOs and a lot of business leaders to come to Atlanta. So people may not understand what happens with the $40 million budget, but there is a return. We talk about the balance sheet issue, but how about the economic impact issue, the pieces that are hard to quantify? Talk a little bit about what the general return is to the region over time. 
Sure. Yeah, you know, we, we've estimated a direct economic impact of approximately 185 to 190 million dollars. But I think the impact we look for with something like the Super Bowl is even larger than that. When the city of Atlanta and the state of Georgia kind of take it all in, it's also getting the business leaders and the executives uh, in the corporate world to come into our city and spend a number of days here. You know, they're not here just here for a meeting. They're here to experience. They're getting to see the lifestyle. They're getting to see how they can move around in the community. Uh, and hopefully that leads to more business. People coming back here for uh, to expand their uh, companies, to put offices in here, to move their headquarters here. So those are some of the benefits that uh, kind of the intangibles that you really can't directly attribute to, but can lead to that kind of stuff. Intangibles that almost drive the equation and mayors that we've talked to and others who respond positively to the whole Super Bowl experience say it's the it's the easiest to explain but the hardest to quantify so politically difficult to sell how does that $40 billion translate into that? I mean, what, what's, what's a drill? How do you do, how yeah. do, you do it? Well, I think some of it comes, you know, it, some of it's faith on the bid process. But once you get awarded that game, you, you're able to take your civic leaders to, to the future site. So they go to Houston, they go to Minneapolis, they see what the event is really like, and they can then understand the impact and just how big the scope and the scale of something like the Super Bowl really is. Your infrastructure issues, then we'll talk about like, competition generally. You have a structure that will transcend this one game? Is it a leap behind that will allow you to bid on future Final Fours and other major conventions? How is this Super Bowl organization structured in the long term? You know, we're a division of our sports council. So the sports council here uh, from the Metro Atlanta Chamber of Commerce uh, lives on uh, long after this game is over. Our host committee kind of ramps up for this one event. Uh, we'll kind of disband. A few people will stick around to host the Final Four in 2020 here. Uh, but no, it's just a collection of uh, Atlanta people that wanted to help be a part of putting on a great game. Now, I came from a good friend, Rodney Barreto, who has done this three times in Miami, and he's parlayed this into a career, which is yeah. kind of interesting. But clearly one of the big issues is you will do great and everything will be good and we're airing this next week so absent some cataclysm everything is fantastic how do you turn the momentum and excitement into a discussion of regular rotation you know, I think we, that's uh, the NFL takes that and looks at the, the experience that they have here in the community. You know, they've kind of modified the bid process now, so it's not a bunch of cities bidding year after year. They're really kind of sitting down with one or two cities at a time and talking through future years. I think we're at a spot now with the NFL, too. There are more and more cities that are capable of hosting this multiple times. Southern cities, new cities coming online. I mean, new stadiums coming online in California that will really expand that. So I think a regular rotation is maybe once every 10 years. Uh, it's not something you're going to get in any market every five years or so. Yeah. So the realistic expectation and the community is kind of prepared for not possibly being every other year? Yeah, I definitely yeah. think that's the case. But there are also so many of these great events now with the college football championship, the Final Four that you mentioned, and then obviously we have upcoming here in the next uh, few years, uh, World Cup and the Olympics coming to the United States. So right. those things will impact a lot of the same major cities as well. What does it mean broadly to the event development industry? now put on your convention meeting planner hat that Vegas is now going to be in the mix with a huge stadium that obviously the city champion stadium could be renamed but LA is in the mix as well so you put on some great events but you also have a lot more competition definitely do uh, and and that's a big part of it and I think that's why that rotation that 10 year that decade span that I mentioned uh, is in play because of Los Angeles because of Las Vegas Uh, you've got dome stadiums uh, down in Texas now between Houston and Dallas that picks up a couple as well so if there's one 
anything you learned from when you started and took on this responsibility that you had no idea would happen, what, what would it be? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, there's so many things that are, are great about this relationship and about building this. I think the might be one of the biggest ones is just the impact in the local community. You know, you think about it and you deal a lot with the NFL, but how much of our time, how much of our focus was on Atlanta and the citizens and the residents of Atlanta and how we could include them in the game. You know, building our volunteer team of 10,000 people at Team ATL, impacting your community with uh, school playground revitalizations and re recycling drives, things of that nature, a civil rights, social justice program that we put in place. All of the different programs that have nothing to do with football, nothing to do with the Super Bowl, but are a way to tie the game into our local community. Power of sports really important as well. Yeah. It's a way to institutionalize, kind of finally, is a way to institutionalize the power of sports, the civic donations, Habitat for Humanity, all of that, yeah. back into the regular fabric of everyday life in Atlanta. Yeah, that's the one thing. Even in the programs that we put together, we talked about using the Super Bowl as a platform. You know, we're only here for two or three years, then we go away. But how do we use that platform in that short period of time to draw attention to a lot of those programs and a lot of those uh, areas uh, on the surface that can then bring people together and continue that, build the momentum that lives on long after the game. Thank you very much for all you bet. Thank really you. It. Enjoyed it. Rick Haro, speak with you soon. From Brett Daniels' perspective, South Florida, Tampa Bay, L.A., Arizona, New Orleans hosts the next five Super Bowls. Expect Vegas to get a game over the next decade as well. Keen, keen competition. So now the NFL is a distant memory. People talking about either the boring game or the iconic defensive game. But here are a couple of issues really important. First, gambling. Look at that for the next year. Business Wire says 67% of millennials more likely to bet on the Super Bowl over any other sporting event. 58% say betting on the game impacts directly how long they'll watch. Companies like Facebook, YouTube, and others use as the primary sources for sneak peeks at advertisements and otherwise. Gambling in the next year will obviously change the landscape in a lot of different ways. The second issue, NFL avoiding a work stoppage in 2021, could depend on whether players can secure more guaranteed money in the next CBA. The AP and others say that the long-term prognosis for a $16 billion a year league may not be great. The last lockout and work stoppage lasted 132 days in 2011. Let's see long-term what happens with the Owners and the players, Roger Goodell and D. Maurice Smith, see if they can avoid challenging what happened in 2011, 10 years later. Rick Haro, speak with you next time. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Our producer, Alex Cohen, associate producer, Freddie Joyner, assistance provided by Carlos Waddick, Tanner Simpkins, Jesse Leeds, and Jamie Swimmer. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Ricaro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.